well. There's such a, a presence of God in this place that it is just, it's unreal. That song has just, as we have worshiped the Lord together, it has brought the Spirit of the Lord so near and so close. And I think we ought to just lift our hands one more time and declare that over our own lives. He is for me. Would you do that? He is for me. He is for me. God's not against you. That is one of the most liberating messages that I've ever heard in my life because it is straight from the Word of God and it may contradict everything you've ever heard in religion in the past that God's angry with you. God doesn't like you. I want to cancel all of that out and say that God is for you. God is for you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Give him some praise in the house of the Lord today. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Incredible job as always, guys. Thank you so much. And good morning, Inspire. How are you today? Amen. God bless you. And you may be seated in the house of the Lord. And wow, it's, it's hard to even proceed right now. It really is. The presence of God just has melted so many hearts and, and it did mine. And I looked around the room. I wasn't the only one that was wiping tears away as the Lord drew near and um, began to visit with us in response to our worship. Um, I want to welcome all of you to the Lord's house this morning. And if you're joining us by streaming, we welcome you as well. And so glad that you're here. All of the Inspire members, wherever they may be that are watching this, I hope that right now what you will do is stop everything else. I put out just a little short video earlier this week. And uh, when I did, I intended to help us understand how to get the most out of streaming services. So I hope you've seen that and you're following the little simple tenets that I outlined It will cause you to receive so much more out of a streaming service than you would if you're trying to, you know, fix coffee or eat breakfast or take care of the kids or fold the clothes, do the the washing, the ironing, or whatever it is people do. I hope that you'll just shut all of that down and you'll focus right now in on worshiping God and the Word of God. And I know that we here in the house of the Lord will do that. That's one of the great benefits, by the way, of in-person church services is it helps you focus your attention and you begin to look toward God as you get ready in the morning. You come to the house of God and your hearts are prepared to seek him. And that is so vital and important. And we look forward to the day when we get beyond COVID-19 But until then, as I keep saying, we're all having to learn to make adjustments. And so I look out and I see a sea of masks staring back at me. And if I don't recognize you from behind your mask, then God bless you. Praise the Lord. I love you anyway. Amen. And uh, I wear mine. But you see, we can have services and we can do this safely. Just like we can go to a restaurant or go to work or do the other things that we do. But uh, I, I want to make a couple of comments. Governor Edwards uh, from the neighboring state of Louisiana, state I was raised in, 
has called his state to three days of prayer and fasting tomorrow, beginning tomorrow, because of this virus. I think that is so commendable that he would do that. Our governor hasn't done so yet, but since he hasn't, let's on our own do this. And beginning tomorrow, for the next three days, could we spend some time prayer in, fa- in prayer and fasting against this virus? That God will stop this thing and he will crush it beneath him, his mighty hand, if you would, and cause there to be healing. We can pray for three things, too. Let's pray and fast for this virus to stop that I've already mentioned and to heal those who are so sick. And let's also pray and fast for an end to racism. Uh, Both these things have been brought into sharp focus by the Holy Spirit. These are things that are blights right now uh, that have affected the whole world. And I want us to pray that God would cause those forces to be defeated and cause men and women to, in terms of racism, to realize that we're all in this thing together. Amen. And to treat one another like brothers and sisters. And then thirdly, I also want us to pray that all of the destructive forces that are at work in this world will be halted dead in their tracks. You see, when you have all of this unrest, you do realize there are other forces that don't care a whit about racism that are out there just seeking to overthrow and create turmoil and anarchy and And many people in the African-American community are appalled by what they see. And they say, that's not what we're about. And I want you to know that. That's not what folk are about for the most part. But you have a group of people that try to take advantage of all of the unrest to create as much chaos as they can. I want God to stop all of that. And this nation needs to honor God because the scripture says... That all nations shall be turned into hell that forget God. You can't live in this world and expect to be blessed and ignore the principles of his word. You can't do that. I also have exciting news. Wasn't church last Sunday fun? Amen. Well, next Sunday, Tony Suarez is going to be back with us again. And... Bring your friends, and like I said, uh, we will socially distance, and we will make sure we have masks and observe all the other precautions. And if you can go to H-E-B or Kroger or Home Depot, then you can come and be safe in the house of God as well. And I'm in a new series entitled, Where the Power Is. And uh, the Bible tells us of many, many power encounters that occurred between God's people and the forces of darkness And every single time God's people won, not once did they lose. Every single time they won. When they honored God, they always won. Sometimes you need God to show up. Do you know what I'm talking about? And I believe if there ever was a time in America we needed God to show up, it's right now. Yes, we do. We need God to show up and demonstrate he's God. I like to tell a joke every now and then. I'm from Louisiana, as I've already mentioned, and I spent my early years there. And um, I'm a Cajun, if you're wondering. That means I'm a little bit of everything. And 
I've, you know that, but some watching this may not know. So I've got Boudreaux's and Thibodeau's and Quibodeau's and Orsino's. That's my family now. Don't be careful. And because when we talk about those, you're talking about my family. But in the Cajun community, if you were from Louisiana, you'd know we like to pick fun at one, at one another and just kind of tease each other. We like to tell Boudreaux jokes. And so Clovis Boudreaux lived across the bayou from Clarence Fontenot. I've got Fontenot's in my family, too. And he and Clarence didn't like each other, not none at all. Amen. And they would shout insults across the bayou at each other all the time. And Clovis Boudreaux would yell at Clarence, if I had a way to cross this bayou, I'd come over there and teach you a lesson for sure. Well, Clarence would shout back, said, you better be glad this bayou is here or you would learn a thing or two yourself. And this went on for years. And finally, the state went and built a bridge across the bayou right by their house. And Clovis's wife, Eunice, said, now is your chance. Why don't you go over there and teach that Clarence a thing or two like you've been telling him you would? And Clovis said, okay. And he started walking across the bridge and he looked up and he saw a sign and he stopped thought a moment and promptly turned around and went back home. And Eunice said, why are you back so soon? And Clovis said, my shy, I done changed my mind about teaching that Clarence a lesson. You know, he don't look near that big when I yell at him from across the bayou, but they got a sign on that bridge that said, Clarence, 13 feet, six inches. Amen. He's too big for me to mess with. <laughs> and sometimes... You need God to show up and deal with the big problems in your life. In Ezekiel 46, and my, my, my series again is simply entitled, Where the Power Is. Ezekiel 46, verse 8 through 10, when the prince enters, he shall go in by way of the vestibule of the gateway and go out the same way. That's the prince. But verse 9 says, But when the people of the land come before the Lord on the appointed feast days, whoever enters by way of the north gate to worship shall go out by way of the south gate. And whoever enters by way of the south gate shall go out by way of the north gate. He shall not return by the way of the gate through which he came, but he shall go out by the opposite gate. Then, this is verse 10, the prince shall be in their midst. When they go in, he shall go in. And when they go out, he shall go out. I want to speak to you from this subject this morning as a part of this series where the power is, my, the title of my message today would be Leave a Different Way Than You Came. Leave a Different Way Than You Came. Father, would you speak a word to us today because we truly need to hear the word of God every day of our lives. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And you said that we should pray, give us this day our daily bread. We ask for the daily bread of heaven today. We need to hear from you. 
And that's true every day, but especially in troubled times, we become so much more aware of the fact that we depend upon you, Lord, and we need you as never before. So we ask that you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Open your word to our understanding and let it have its transformative effect on our lives. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. Not all worship is equal, and you should not think that it is. Today, I want us to look at the power that is in right as opposed or versus wrong worship. Not all worship is equal. John 4, verse 21, we read the familiar story of Jesus encountering the woman at the well. The chapter begins in the King James by saying that Jesus must needs go through Samaria. Must needs go through Samaria. He didn't need to go through Samaria because it was the way to go. He needed to go through Samaria for other reasons than geographical reasons. He needed to go through Samaria because there was something that was compelling him to go there. And the scripture says that Jesus met this woman at the well. He sat on the curb of the well. He didn't need to go there to find a place to sit. He didn't need to go there to get a drink of water. All of those things could have been done somewhere else. But he had an assignment. He felt that he needed to meet with a woman. And he happened to know that as a result of this encounter that he would have with her, that something would change among the Samaritans. And so Jesus tells this woman, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. And then he says, You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And here's the point. That if there are true worshipers, obviously there are worshipers who are not true. If we are admonished to worship, admonished to worship in spirit and in truth, then what is being articulated points out to us that it must be equally true that we could offer what we call worship. That isn't given in spirit and in truth. And therein lies the difference between right and wrong worship. From which I get my text today. Jesus had earlier taught that some worship is in vain. Look at Matthew 15, 8 through 9. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips. But their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me teaching as doctrines, the commandments of men. You see, Jesus was doing more than just passing through Samaria. He had to go there because there was something that was broke he wanted to fix. He hadn't come to see the sights. He wasn't there as a tourist. He had come to correct 
wrong worship by writing a misperception about worship that had actually begun to creep in several centuries earlier under King Rehoboam, the son of King Solomon. And let me explain. There was a problem that existed with Samaritan worship. When Israel settled in the promised land, I've preached this before, the tabernacle had been set up and therefore the place of worship was established at Shiloh. Years later, David had relocated the central place of Shiloh, of uh, worship rather, from Shiloh to Mount Zion. And from that time, Israel worshiped at Jerusalem. First at the tabernacle of David, and then at the magnificent temple that Solomon, his son, had built that was known by Solomon's name. Solomon had passed away. And his eldest son, Rehoboam, had been crowned king in his stead. The people led by Jeroboam had come to ask for relief from the taxes that had been paid under King Solomon. A heavy levy of taxes that was needed to build the infrastructure of the nation. And specifically, ten of the tribes came And they had selected Jeroboam as their representative. There were 12 tribes in Israel and 10 of them came and they told King Rehoboam these words. They said, if you will lower the taxes, we will serve you as faithfully as we have served your father, King Solomon. And King Rehoboam asked for them to come back, but he said, I want you to give me a little time to consult with my advisors and see what they have to say and I'll give you an answer. And the older men who had served King Solomon now were in position to serve Rehoboam. And he went to them and he asked, what should I do? And they said, well, sire, the obvious thing to do is do what the people have suggested. Lower their taxes. They will serve you as faithfully as they did your father. It's just a cry for relief. They just need some help. And if you will help them, they will honor you. And so then Rehoboam turned to his friends that he had grown up with who were all young men like him and asked what their advice was. And they were young and full of testosterone and ego. And and so what they told him to do was, don't you listen to those people? How dare they come and, and tell you, you're the king. How dare they come and tell you that they're not going to serve you if you don't lower their taxes. And, and so he said, what you need to do is look at them and say, if you don't do what I say, I'm going to make your burden even heavier. And so that's exactly the advice Rehoboam followed. He disregarded the advice of the older, wiser counselors who had served his dad. And he wanted to appear tough, and so he chose to listen to his young friends. And as a result of that, there was horrific civil war that ensued, and the nation was torn in two. Rehoboam's insecurities and uncertainties, and the fact that he was new to this position, made him do what oftentimes we all do when we feel insecure, He began to compensate and he overcompensated. And as a result of that, he lost 10 of the 12 tribes. You've seen it before. 
The person who always has to be right, you know the one I'm talking about, always wants to push the point and is ready to fight over any perceived slight. And I learned long ago that you can't really insult me unless I first insult myself. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because if my image of who I am is wounded and my self-esteem is low and you come and you say something harsh to me that is demeaning, I take it personal. But if my image of who I am is correct in the eyes of God and I know who I am in Christ, what you say doesn't affect me. You're the one with the problem, not me. You see, I learned long ago, one of the most important things you will ever know in life is to know who owns the problem. Amen? Because if you don't own it, you can't fix it. So don't get upset about everything anybody says about you or a criticism of who you are and what they have to say about you. That doesn't really tell the story. It's it's who you think you are. It's who God called you to be. You need to know who you are in God. The right people in your life can help you. And this story proves that as well. Because Rehoboam listened to the wrong people. And because he did and testosterone and insecurities and ego got in the way. Just like that he lost 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel. And they broke away to form a new kingdom under their spokesperson Jeroboam. This is where... The problem begins that Jesus has come to Samaria to correct. You see, it was the worship of Jehovah God that held the 12 tribes together. Three times a year, they would come to Jerusalem for festivals and religious observances. And it was a mighty time. It was a high time. It was a powerful time because when you're in the presence of God, it does something for you that nothing else can do. Can I hear a child of God that knows what I'm talking about say amen? Praise God. And Jeroboam knew that the ten tribes that had broken away would long to reconnect with God. Especially at the times of these three big religious feasts and festivals. And so you know what he did? To keep them from going back to Judah and to Jerusalem during these times of worship. He had two golden calves made up that he set up along the border of the ten tribes with Judah. In two different places, and that way he could intercept worshipers coming from the ten tribes toward Jerusalem. And they would say, you don't need to make that trek. You don't need to go to all that trouble. Come right over here. We've got a golden calf. We'll worship. This is what really brought us out of Egypt. And Jeroboam reintroduced the people to idolatry. I just want to say something. Never look for the most convenient way to worship God. Hello. Worship ought to cost you a little something. And in their day, it meant they had to travel to get there. I know it's inconvenient to come to the house of God. I, I know you got to get up and get dressed and get the kids ready. And I know you got to get up and get dressed and sit there and watch the streaming. And you got to disconnect from everything else. But God deserves our time. Can I hear somebody say amen? He deserves our attention and our devotion. And so because of their idolatry, the ten tribes that Jeroboam led away from God, that split from, from Israel and from Judah, they 
stepped out from underneath the covering of God's protection and grace. And before long, they were carried away into captivity. And when they were carried away, only the very poor were left and the uneducated were left. And, and, and the government that carried them away even brought captives from other kingdoms they had conquered and settled them there. So there was this mixture, this syncretism of religion. And so their religion was all messed up and, and the people intermarried and forgot their national identity as being the children of Abraham. Let me tell you something. In this world, be careful what you attach yourself to because you never want to forget whose you are and who you are. Amen. You want to know you're a child of God. Hello, somebody. Amen. And they moved worship to Mount Gerizim. There's a name you've heard before. Mount Gerizim was the mount opposite Mount Ebal that Israel had stopped at when they first entered the promised land under Joshua. And they had divided Israel and six tribes stood on Mount Gerizim and six tribes stood on Mount Ebal. And they proclaimed across the valley between them the blessings and the curses of the law of God. On Mount Gerizim they proclaimed all of the blessings. Of Deuteronomy 28. And then on the opposite Mount Mount Ebal. They proclaimed all of the curses that would come. If you violated the laws of God. You say that's what I don't like about religion. God's always looking to get somebody that doesn't go along with what he says. No, no, no. You got it wrong. There are foundational principles that are programmed into the universe God created. And when you align yourselves with them, you get blessed. But when you go against those concepts and principles, that's when you begin to suffer in life. And as I've often said, it's like the law of gravity. You can, you can say you're going to break the law of gravity, but you don't break it. Go downtown to one of the buildings in our city and say, I'm going to break the law of gravity. I'm going to jump off this building. I'm going to break, no, break the law of gravity. You're not going to break any law of gravity. You're going to get broken. We're going to say, there he goes. Amen. Because you don't break the laws that are programmed into this universe. You don't. And you don't break the laws of God either. What you do is you break your own life. And that's what happened to these 10 tribes. And so they moved to worship to Mount Gerizim, which was the Mount of Blessings and where they had pronounced blessings. Now watch this because this is what I've come to talk to you about. The difference in right and wrong worship. The power that exists in right worship. The lack of power that exists in wrong worship. And so the wrong that Jesus went to Samaria to correct and to set right had to do with the people's attitude toward God. The woman said, this is the mountain we're supposed to worship on. But you, you Jewish people, you say y'all worship over there. You worship somewhere else. Look at John 4 and 20. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Did you get that? Our fathers worshiped past tense on this mountain but you Jews say worship should be in Jerusalem she was referring to Mount Moriah which is in Jerusalem to the Samaritans worship was supposed to be something you did on Mount Gerizim the Mount of Blessings hold on I'm getting ready to rock your world in other words you only worship when you're blessed 
You got to hear what I'm saying. Worship was something you do when you're blessed. Worship is something you do whenever God's been good to you. Worship is something you do when everything's going well and your 401k is, is looking good and your job is great and you've been promoted and your business is flourishing and your children are doing well in school. And that was the attitude that was fixed in the minds of the Samaritans. We worship over here. We, we worship where we're blessed. We're going to stand over here. And when we're blessed, we're going to worship God. And what Jesus came to correct was, listen, that's not when you worship. You don't just worship when you are blessed. You worship all the time, whether you're blessed or not blessed, whether you're up or down. Hello, somebody. You worship whether you feel God's been good to you or whether you don't feel God's been good to you. You worship coming in and you worship going out and you worship on your way up and you worship on your way down. Can I talk to somebody? Because God deserves worship at all times. Worship is something you give God all the time Because he's always God He's not just God when you're on the mountaintop He's not just God when you are blessed He's not just God when the boss pats you on the shoulder and says, good job. He's not just God when your family's doing well and your wife says, man, I got the best husband in the world. Or you look at that wife and say, I don't know how I did it. I'm, I definitely married above myself. No, he's God when you're in the middle of the valley. He's God when you're in the middle of the storm. God is God whenever you're on the bottom and it doesn't look like there's any way to survive what you're going through he's God you see that's because worship is not about us it's about him and that's the wrong that Jesus came to right let me tell you something lady worship isn't about you it's not about what you are experiencing. It's not about your circumstances. It's not, are things going good enough that you, you feel like you can worship? It's not about, or are things going well enough that you think God has blessed you to the point that he deserves a hallelujah now? Uh-uh, that's not what it's about. I want you to know worship is not about you. That's what Jesus came to communicate. Worship is about him and not us. Right worship does something that wrong worship doesn't do. Right worship causes you to leave a worship experience differently than you entered it. And what the prophetic word was in Ezekiel is when you come in to worship, you come in one way, but you need to be sure you leave another. You don't leave the way you came. If you come in the north gate, you leave out of the south gate. Oh, I feel the preacher working inside of me right now. If you come in the south gate, you leave out the north gate. You hear what I'm saying? Don't leave the same way that you came in. Because worship is not effective until it changes you. You've got to let worship get to work on the inside of your heart. It's got to do something to you. Right worship causes you to leave a worship experience. Change from the way you entered. 
The people that Ezekiel was referring to coming in the north gate that had to leave the south gate. Those were believers. Those coming in the south gate that he said have to leave the north gate. Children of God. He only made one exception. He said when the prince comes in, he gets to walk in one gate and go back out the same gate. Because the prince was the coming Messiah. And he's already got it all under control. He doesn't need to be changed by worship. Because he is the object of our worship. Hello somebody. When he comes to church, he doesn't need to get a problem fixed. He doesn't need to touch God. Because you see, the prince that he was referring to is the one to whip God was in Christ. Reconciling the world unto himself. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Hello, somebody. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit. Seen of angels, preached unto Gentiles, and believed back up into glory. He gets to leave the same way he entered. But not me. (laughs) Something needs to happen to me when I come to church. Something's got to take place inside of my heart. And that's what was happening when they were singing that song a while ago. And tears welled up in my eyes. I'm not going to leave this church the same way that I came in this morning. I may go out the same door that I came in. But spiritually I'm leaving a different way. He's perfect in all his ways. But we need something to happen to us. Amen. Right worship does something that wrong worship won't do. Right worship depends upon who he is and not on our circumstances. Hmm. That was what they had gotten messed up in their thinking. We can only worship from Mount Gerizim. (laughs) Only time we can bless God is when we've been blessed. For worship to be true worship. You need to recognize who God is and not what you are going through at the moment. When you walk into the presence of God, whether that's in church service or in your prayer closet at home, and there ought to be a time every single day when when you detach from everything around you, turn the phone off, the smartphone, set it down, don't look at Facebook, don't just leave all of that alone. There needs to be a, a moment when you detach from all of this world and its concerns and turn off CNN and MSNBC and Fox and ABC. Shut it all down and say, God, I need to connect with you. I'm listening all day long to the problems of the world that are going on around me now. I need to forget about my circumstances and look to a God who is higher than my circumstances. True worship isn't even dependent on who Rather, on what God has done. You see, we we find it easy to worship when he's been good to us, don't we? (laughs) When he's blessed us, oh, we can have a time worshiping God. When we get healed, when we get a promotion. (laughs) 
I'm telling you, when our kids do well, oh, we can worship them, can't we? Hallelujah, when the doctor gives us a good report, yeah, we can, we, we can worship them. But real worship isn't dependent upon what God has done. It's about his greatness and about his worthiness, which never changes regardless of whether you've been blessed or not. Job would say it like this in Job 1.21. Naked came I from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord is taken away. But watch this. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm going to worship him anyhow. I'm going to praise him anyway. Hallelujah. You say, why are you preaching like this, pastor? Because when you get this fundamental concept straight in your mind, you open the door for God to begin to pour out upon you the blessings that he really wants to release in your life. Job said it again in Job 13, 15, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Though he slay me. Though I'm going through the worst experience of my life. And I feel like I'm dying and going down for the last time. I just want you to know. Lord it hasn't changed who I think you are. Hallelujah. Because worship is about his greatness. And I want to ask you the question. Is he great? I said I want to ask you the question. Is he great? Is the God we serve a great God? Is the God we serve a great God? Come on, somebody. Has God been good to anybody in this house? Listen to Psalms 145, verse 3. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. So I want to ask you again. Is God great? Because so much of what we see, we see through the prism, the matrix of our own personal circumstances. Worship is supposed to be about his worthiness as well. And I want to ask you this question. Not only did I ask, is he great? I want to ask somebody, is he worthy? Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Oh, hallelujah to the lamb. Is he worthy? Have you ever been to a performance or a show or an attraction? And when you went in, you walked out and said, boy, I just wasted $20. You ever have that? I have. I've traveled a lot across these United States during the years. And on many an occasion, pulling that, that travel trailer behind that vehicle, my family and I, so we could stay together while we were doing evangelism and preaching revivals. Many a time we'd see a sign, you gotta, you gotta stop here. This is this great attraction. And we'd pull over and pay our money and go in. And I'd come out the other end and say, that was the biggest waste of money I've ever seen. You don't find that going on in heaven. John said he looked up and saw us after we got there. And I want to ask you, is he worthy? And in Revelation 4 and 11, this is what John said he heard us say. You are worthy, O Lord. 
to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created there's nobody asking for a refund they're all saying the same thing when they got get to heaven John said this is what I saw you doing when we got to heaven he said I saw you saying worthy is the lamb is there somebody that could just say it to him right now before you get there you are worthy Lord where the power is the power is in right worship and right worship is not centered around what we're going through it's not about Mount Gerizim the Mount of Blessing it's not even about us it's about him and yes he is great and yes he's worthy and I'm closing but right worship has the power to do several things When you give God right worship, you leave through a different gate than the one you came in. Because you came to give him something. But you end up leaving differently. And the reason you do is right worship has the power to change you. I don't know where this idea worked its way into religious circles and theology. That when we worship God... That it creates something that supplies in him something that is missing. That's not true. God is God. And by the very definition of the term, he's already complete. He's everything he will ever be. God, everything he ever needs. He is who he is. You cannot subtract from him. You cannot add to him. His very name, Jehovah, means the all-sufficient and self-existent one. He is all-sufficient. My worship doesn't change him. My worship changes me. Hallelujah. It doesn't add to God when I worship him, nor does it diminish him if I do not. You say, well, how does worship change you? I'll tell you how. It changes you. It changes you by changing your heart. You cannot have an encounter with God in worship without it affecting your heart. And sitting over there a moment ago when they were singing that song... I felt something going on in here. (laughs) You know, we always want everything to happen up here in our intellectual abilities. But sometimes what we really need is a heart change. Sometimes what we need is God to get on the inside. Hello, somebody. And begin to work out some attitudes and work out some emotions and work out some incorrect perceptions. And hello, you know what I'm talking about. Work out some things that shouldn't be there that have crept in where the voice of flesh has cried out a little too much. And and that's why things look different after you worship God. Because it changes the way that you look at things. Yes, it does. Number two. Right worship has the power to change your situation. Not only does it have the power to change you, but it can change your situation. All the focusing on your circumstance that you can give that circumstance may not change it. All of the attention and the energy and the effort 
and the people you contact and those you go see and the resources you compile and all of that together may never change your circumstance even in one iota. Heard yesterday from a friend of mine. I've known for many years and preached for in Denham Springs, Louisiana, who has been in the hospital on a ventilator for days and days and days and days and days, weeks. And they didn't know if he was going to make it. And some of the people, some of us, his friends got together and prayed and fasted. And I got the news yesterday. They took him off the ventilator. Oh, bless your name. Bless your name. Bless your name. You see, worship can not only change you, it can change your circumstance as well. Your problem doesn't remain the same. When you worship, it changes your situation by changing the atmosphere. And you know what that means. Everything's got its own atmosphere. Everything can live only within a particular environment. And what Mary did when she broke that box of alabaster ointment, she changed the atmosphere. What do I mean by changing the atmosphere? Hmm. You see, things cannot live and thrive in just any old environment. Fish can't live without water. You take it out of water, it's going to die. A deer won't make it long downtown without the forest among all of those tall buildings and bumper-to-bumper traffic. It's going to be splattered across one of those streets downtown if it tries to survive there. That's not its environment. And whenever you worship, you change the environment and the environment The atmosphere determines what can grow and what can't. And when you're not worshiping, do I need to tell you there's stuff that can thrive in the absence of worship that when you begin to send a few praises up to God, begin to wither at the roots, And you try to attack the problem directly and nothing changes it. But you go to God and you worship him. There is power in right worship. It will change your circumstance. And I want you to look at what Mary did. She took that alabaster box of ointment and she broke it open. She didn't just open it and raise the lid. She broke it. She said, I'm going to give it to him and I'm going to give it to him at a level that will be irretrievable where I cannot get it back. Because if she had just opened the lid, she could have taken some out and said, hmm, this is costly. I spent a a long time saving this. Maybe I need to hold on to some of it. And she could have had second thoughts. Knowing that that could happen to her, she didn't use the lid, she broke it. She went beyond the point of no return. Hmm. She changed the atmosphere suddenly. Everything in that room began to smell different. Oh, bless his name. 
And that's what happens when you begin to worship God. Everything around you takes on a different aroma, a different smell. Hallelujah. Because the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. And when he shows up, there's some stuff that cannot stay around. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. David said that, how lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord, he said in Psalms 84. And he talked about the pilgrimage that Israel would take three times a year to get to Jerusalem for those festivals, and those feasts that I spoke of. And this is what he said. He said, blessed is the man, verse number five, whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Nothing's going to stop me from going to the house of God. And he said these three times a year. And this is what he said. They pass through the valley of Baca and they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength, each one appearing before God in Zion. Do you know what the valley of Baca was? It was the valley of tears. If you ever look at the map or you've ever been there, there is the Rift Valley that runs all the way from the Middle East all the way down the east side of Africa into Mozambique. It is the, at the deepest point on earth is there in the Rift Valley. They call it the Dead Sea. It's the lowest spot on the entire planet. It is like 1,300 and some odd feet below sea level. Nothing can live there. It is dead. And some of them had to go through that valley to get to the house of God. But this is what the scripture said when they passed through. The valley of Baca, because they're already worshiping, they're changing the environment, and something is beginning to grow. Have you ever been in the desert? I have. I preached out in West Texas. Any of y'all ever been out there? Out in Midland, El Paso, some of those areas so arid, so dry. And we were out there preaching, and there came a rain one, one, one weekend, and it rained until the water got up to the street. A post and, and, and the signs, the name of the signs of the streets were on, on those poles and the water got that high. And do you know that when it drained off within the next two days, it was the most remarkable thing. That valley erupted. That desert exploded in color. Because all that stuff that was hidden waiting for the rain to come got rained on and there's some stuff in your life that's waiting to get rained on right now. And when you worship, it changes the atmosphere. Somebody ought to give him some praise right now. I'm telling you how to repurpose the desert. Look at your neighbor and say, we're going to repurpose the desert. Would you do that? And so would you stand with me? You got to leave a different way than you came. And you know what I'm going to ask you to do today? Just to emphasize my little point. <laughs> this is what I'd like for you to do. If you came in that door, please go out that one. And if you came out that one, go out that one. If you came out that one, go, go out a different way so that you will forever, as long as you live, remember that when I come to worship God, I can't leave the same way that I came. I got to worship him. I got to praise him. It's not about circumstances. It's not about environment. And so the challenge is, how do you do that? Habakkuk 3, verse 17 through 19 says this, though the fig tree may, fig tree may not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, 
and the fields yield no food. Though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. I want you to listen to that. Fig tree, that's fruit. Though my life stops being fruitful and there's no fruit on the vine, that's the grape, that clings. Don't even have any fellowship going on right now. Can't touch anybody. Lost the ability to be able to make contact with people because of social distancing. And though the labor of the olive may feel, and I don't feel like I'm anointed anymore. And the fields yield no food, and I go to church, and I just sit there, and I'm not getting anything out of it. Or I watch the streaming, and I'm not getting what I need. And though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and it doesn't look like anything in my life is multiplying right now. And there's no herd in the stalls. I don't have any resources. Lost my job. Watch this next verse. Yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. I'm going to dance. I'm going to praise Him. I'm going to worship Him whether I feel like it, whether I've got a reason to or not because it's not about me. It's all about Him. And this is what He said. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet and he will walk, make me walk on my high heels. I don't mean high heels like high heel shoes. He will make me walk on the high heel. We'll step from mountaintop to mountaintop. Don't feel like I've got any reason to rejoice right now. No fellowship. I laugh because I told you this one Sunday. My wife was sitting beside me in the 11 o'clock service. That's a service she attends. And I leaned over and said, honey, I was going to say something. And she went, like, don't you get near me. <laughs> I'm kind of like Job. My, my breath is unfamiliar to my wife. <laughs> so, and she leaned way away from me like, no fellowship, no contact. No blessing, no anointing. But still, I'm going to worship. Because that's the one thing I can do. And what you do is you prioritize worshiping Him above anything else in your life. He's bigger than my problems. But He's also greater than my blessings. He's greater than my gains. He's greater than my losses. He's God in good times. But he's still God when times are hard. He's God when there's COVID-19 and he's God when there is no COVID-19. And he will show up and change what isn't good in our lives if we will just worship. With every head bowed, If there's somebody in this building that needs the Lord in their life, would you raise your hand right where you are? And say, pray for me, Pastor. God bless you, my brother. God bless you, my brother. God bless you. Others, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Father, I pray for these precious souls that matter so much to you. Thank you for them, Lord. They're not only dear to you, Lord. They're dear to us. 
And Lord, I want you to write their name in the book of life and make them be a child of God. And if there's one person watching this today that hasn't given their heart to the Lord, you know what they're going through, Lord. And you're still God. Save them right now. And if you prayed that prayer with us and you are a part of the streaming audience, contact the link on the bottom of the screen. We'd love to hear from you. Amen. And those of you that prayed that prayer, we welcome you into the body of Christ. You're taking your first steps. Go on and be baptized in water as Jesus instructed that we should do. Number two, be filled with the Holy Spirit that you may live the empowered life. And number three, learn all you can about God by becoming a part of a Bible-believing church. And if you're here with us this morning, that means Inspire wants to be your church. We welcome you here. And if you're watching this, we want to be your church. But before we leave, I felt led to preach this today, and I know there's a reason why. Is there anybody in this building that will raise their hand and say, Pastor, I'm going through a place where the vine has been broken. Where there is no olive, there's no anointing. I'm going through a place where I'm not getting what I need out of my study of the Word of God. I'm going through a rough place. There's no multiplication going on in my life right now. Would you raise your hand? We're getting ready to pray for you right where you are. Look at the hands going up. Keep raising them right where you are. Right where you are. Right where you are, Father. In the name of Jesus, I pray for every precious soul whose hand is raised right now. And God, we worship you and we praise you anyway. They're here to worship the Lord in the middle of whatever it is they face. It doesn't matter because you're still God on the throne. And we acknowledge today that you're great and that you're worthy.